I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Martin Arnold, the FT's banking editor. Joining me in the studio is Emma Dunkley, our retail banking correspondent, and Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent. While we'd be joined over the phone by Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor, and Lee Brain of Barclays. First, we'll be discussing how some of the world's biggest banks have teamed up to develop a new form of digital cash for financial markets based on blockchain technology, while at the same time, Chinese regulators are warning about the dangers of blockchain-based cryptocurrency fundraising schemes known as initial coin offerings. Then we'll hear about how Barclays has upset hundreds of thousands of customers by moving them to a new stockbroking website that is being plagued by glitches. And finally, we'll hear about Wells Fargo's latest embarrassing admissions in its fake accounts scandal. So firstly, to blockchain technology and news that big banks are teaming up and six of them have joined a consortium to develop a new form of digital cash that they hope to launch next year for clearing and settling financial transactions over the technology that underpins Bitcoin, the world's biggest cryptocurrency. Barclays, Credit Suisse, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, HSBC, MUFG and State Street have all teamed up to work with on this utility settlement coin created by Switzerland's UBS to make financial markets more efficient. Joining me to discuss this is Lee Brain, who works in the Chief Technology Office of Barclays Investment Bank. Lee Brain, um, you are... Uh, part of the Chief Technology Office um, in Barclays Investment Bank. And Barclays is one of the six big banks that has joined the so-called Utility Settlement Coin project that was uh, founded by UBS uh, to use blockchain technology to create a digital currency that makes financial markets more efficient. Tell me how this... um, blockchain technology will work and and why is Barclays interested in it? Well, Barclays is involved in evaluating many financial technology innovations. So recently in the distributed ledger space, we've been collaborating with consortia and institutions, whether that be ISDA, DTCC, etc., in exploring and evaluating everything from blockchain standards to including smart contracts and distributed ledgers for the capital market space. So the Utility Settlement Coin Consortium, we've been following now for about 18 months, and we joined it last month. There are quite a few potential benefits that appealed to us. Um, At at the core of it was um, 
the, the idea of the potential to shorten the settlement life cycle. So this can permit a, a number of potential improvements. So for example, to capital efficiency, you have less funds tied up during the settlement process and also for risk reduction in terms of counterparty credit risk, etc. So it's but, more certain and, and, and quicker as well um, in, in having it on blockchain technology rather than the existing payments and settlements and clearing technology or the systems that we have currently. Indeed, that's the, the promise of the technology because you need to bear in mind the, the current capital markets ecosystem, if you look at the technology landscape, includes a lot of workarounds because settlement finality is not instant. And one of the potential features of this utility settlement coin, it, starting with cash, is to allow that instant settlement finality. Yeah. And is it right that um, it's essentially a way of um, getting the cash that sits on central banks into digital form so that that cash can be switched um, almost instantaneously between financial market participants? Is that how it's going to work? Well, the, the, the transfer of the token between mm. two institutions should be the equivalent of achieving legal settlement finality. In terms of the nature of the coin regarding its issuance, that there are a spectrum of options that have been explored in the last few years, ranging from a central bank itself issuing a digital currency, and there's a lot of research in that space. For example, universities produce prototypes on behalf of central banks, right the way through to commercial banks issuing their own tokens, yeah. and you consider that as a type of e-money. And then at the more extreme end, you could imagine virtual currencies that are not backed by any state. So there's a range of design like, like options Bitcoin, in for there, instance. for example. Yeah. So we're able to look at those range or that range of options and select the design features that are required to support the capital markets settlement. And in that space, we accept that it will be quite a few years before central banks could be in the position of issuing their own digital currencies. So therefore, we would look for them to be issued via an alternative means and yet be able to still retain settlement finality because they're assets that are backed by funds at a central bank. Yeah. So you're not creating new currencies. You're you're taking existing currencies and, and putting them on, on blockchain technology so that they can be moved around faster. Indeed. So, mm. so that the, each token yeah. is linked to a corresponding central bank fiat currency. So you could imagine a, a utility settlement coin dollar, a utility settlement coin euro, a pound and so on. So that's the, the nature of the concept. And and when this launches in in the first instance, um, it won't be um, as as you know the fully fledged uh, uh, putting of the whole of financial markets on on blockchain technology. Um, it'll be quite a sort of a staggered launch, um, and initially just be for payments between financial institutions. Uh, is that right? 
Indeed. So if you consider a roadmap view, starting with the simpler transaction types, so a pure cash payment transaction um, will, will probably be the initial transaction type. But we do understand and accept that in order to have broader adoption, you'd need to move into other asset classes as well. So the idea being that in order to get the benefits of the instant settlement across more transaction types, consider, for example, a delivery versus payment, where you would have both a cash leg and a securities leg, you would get the benefits when you're able to atomically move the two transactions, yeah. the two legs at the same time. But then you have to have the so, securities like bonds or equities on blockchain themselves, and that hasn't hasn't been done yet. So that might take some more time. Mm. Indeed. So I would say that's much further in the future right. to have other asset classes yeah. also represented in this tokenized way that is suitable for atomic swap. Lee Brain of uh, Barclays Investment Bank's Chief Technology Office, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. Now, Caroline, uh, it's interesting that banks are doubling down on blockchain technology and teaming up to, to develop the potential for this technology, while at the same time regulators are coming out and warning about a different uh, use of blockchain technology, which is the initial coin offerings that have um, spawned a new form of fundraising and seen many uh, small companies, uh, many technology companies come out and raise vast amounts of money uh, by issuing these tokens on, on blockchain. Um, what's, what's the latest that's happened in, in China? Tell us about that. Yeah, so the Central Bank of China on Monday came out and uh, sort of went one further than other warnings that we've seen from regulators in the States and others. They came out and just said, well, these ICOs, these initial coin offerings are illegal and they suspect that they're being used as a sort of shadowy way to raise finance. They've told uh issuers that have already gone ahead with ICOs to refund uh, investors. They haven't exactly specified how that would be. And they've said that they'll crack down on any future ICOs. So it's really the starkest warning that we've heard yet uh, as authorities around the world try to crack down on what really has been a bubble this year in ICOs. Um, the authorities in Hong Kong quite soon after the Chinese authorities came out with their own warning, they, were, they weren't quite as uh, robust in their attack on ICOs. They followed more the line that the American Securities and Exchange Commission has said earlier this summer, which is essentially that in their view, ICOs likely would fall under the remit of them as a securities regulator, their, their securities rather than commodities, in other words. Yeah, and, and until they are classed as securities uh, around the world and therefore subject to all the uh, financial regulation um, that, that applies to securities offerings, they're pretty much totally unregulated. So you've got uh, companies that are raising this cash in return for the, these, the investors in these tokens are getting no rights in the companies, there's there's very little disclosure necessarily, um, it can all be very vague. Some of them are, you know, um, really quite uh, extraordinary things. I mean, there's one which is um, uh, Ponzi ICO, which, I mean, is, is surely just going a step too far, isn't it? Well, I think there's certainly a regulatory grey area here. And I think the issue has been that you see a lot of... Um, 
tech challengers coming into this this finance space thinking that they can do things better and easier and it's a brave new world when actually when you boil it down some of the practices are the same as you see as you, as you rightly said to essentially what's a ponzi scheme and where we've had uh decades if not centuries of regulation to uh ensure that sharp practice is eradicated as much as possible and investors don't lose their shirts so i think we've got this interesting uh, tension right now as uh, we see we see challenges coming into this fintech space as to how the regulators really deal with it and yeah i think until perhaps there's a more global concerted effort to label what these uh, instruments actually are doing then perhaps there still will be a few questions to be answered meanwhile the uh, price of Bitcoin uh, bounces around um, yeah. uh, to reflect all of these things. And yeah. The latest, the latest moves in, in China have uh, hit the price. Very, they? very much. I mean, the, the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that it tends to be a sort of safe haven asset, similar to gold. So you see gold and Bitcoin uh, rising in price in times of geopolitical strife, things like that. And you would think that this week, with everything that's going going on in North Korea, that would also be the case. Um, but as we saw earlier this summer when the SEC first came out with its warning about ICOs, Bitcoin has really been hit hard by the Chinese statement on Monday, and that's continued through this week. Yeah. Thanks, Caroline. Now, turning to Barclays, um, Emma, you're here to tell us about how um, hundreds of customers um, who uh, of Barclays stockbroking service have found they've been transferred to a new um, online service that Barclays has launched um, that they hoped would have a broader appeal, but it seems to be plagued with all kind of glitches. And now many of the customers are complaining that they can't even leave the service very quickly. They're having to wait weeks and weeks to, to get out of this service. What's What's happening? So Barclays launched um, a new DIY investment platform, um, which is essentially an execution-only investment site uh, to replace its 30-year-old stockbroker's uh, business unit. So this new site called Smart Investor was launched over the bank holiday weekend, but it was instantly hit with many problems. So, for example, a number of customers complained about the fact that they were receiving error messages. They also complained about the fact that they couldn't get through to the customer services team. The customer services team said they were open till seven, but in fact it closed at six. And there are many complaints that came through. A number of customers have also complained about the fact that the new pricing structure means that if you're a uh, frequent trader of stocks and shares, as many of our readers are, then in fact you're going to be facing higher prices. And the move by Barclays is aimed at uh, rolling its investment service into the retail bank so that more of its customers um, will likely be buy and hold uh, fund investors. So arguably a lot of customers will receive uh, lower charges, but those traditional share dealing customers will face higher fees as a result. So we've seen a number of customers looking to move. And as a result of this bottleneck, Barclays has been hit with a number of delays in uh, providing trans the, uh, transfers for these customers to rival platforms. Uh, some customers have said that they were told by Barclays that they could face a, a transfer time of up to three months, which is, I think, three times longer than the typical uh, time frame. Is this another story of, of banks trying to modernise and embrace the new digital disruption era of uh, robo-advisors, etc., and, and ending up getting it wrong? I think this is more a case of Barclays attempting to uh, 
get more of its retail customer base to use its DIY investment service. It realises that uh, many investors are perhaps too scared to dip their toe into the uh, share market, but they're more likely to buy funds and be longer buy and hold investors. So in that regard, by rolling in this separate business division into its retail bank, it's likely to expand its customer base, but also it can save on costs by removing this separate stockbroker's division. But the move does uh, the move has agitated many of its um, customers that have been with stockbrokers for more than thirty years who do focus on trading shares and more um, complicated exotic types of investments who now find it costlier to do so um, and are also a bit disgruntled about the new site and its um, functions which are more geared towards longer buy and hold fund investors. Presumably, the robo advisors and the other fintechs that uh, that provide this service will be um, licking their lips at Barclays' difficulties. Thanks, Emma. Wells Fargo has announced that it's uncovered nearly seventy percent more potentially unauthorized accounts than originally thought, dealing a fresh blow to the big U.S. bank that's struggling to shake off the effects of this scandal that erupted a year ago. Joining us to discuss the latest developments is Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor. Ben, why is Wells failing to get a grips on this scandal? Yeah, hi, Martin. I think um, I don't think the bank is taking it sufficiently seriously. I think that's the, that's the core of the problem. Yeah. Um, just a few months before all this blew up, I went to see uh, John Stump in May of last year. And of course, I asked him about the, uh, the sort of groundswell of of press reports about a potential scandal brewing, and he, he seemed to think it was no big deal. He, he talked about you know less than one percent of staff affected and a, a legacy problem, and um, the vast majority of people at Wells Fargo are turning up every every, every um, day determined to do the right thing. I don't doubt that's the truth, but the, the problem is he, he had 5,300 um, senior managers uh, sacked uh, for for, for um, uh, straining you know, illegally to hit sales targets that the bank now accepts were illegitimate. So you've got the rest of the uh, the, the vast bank, 99% of people, also subject to similar targets and um, also under under enormous strain to, to hit them. So it seems to me it, it, it's, it's a deep-seated cultural problem that the bankers has just failed to, to, to get to grips with. Of course, it's booted out John Stumpf, it's booted yeah. out um, the chairman, which... Um, uh, who, who replaced, uh, well, effectively John Stump for, for, for a year. Uh, quite a few senior executives who have gone. They, they've clawed back pay and so on. But still, there's a constant drip, drip of other scandals uh, potentially brewing. Yeah. Um, in, in that story, I talk about the auto insurance enrolment, which is a bit like the uh, the UK PPI scandal. You know, people signed up for mm. cover they, they didn't necessarily need and they certainly didn't want. Uh, there's another one about locking in rates for mortgages, which uh, the bank will do for a fee, and then it will apparently uh, delay and delay and delay until you afford to pay another fee for for extending it. Mm. Uh, so it's 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 a top to bottom problem, I think, which um, certainly wasn't recognised at the time it blew up. Sounds like a pretty deep seated cultural issues there. Um, how bad do you think this could get for Wells, and and are other banks under scrutiny for similar behaviour? Yeah, well, um, how about Wells? Uh, well, it's certainly not getting better on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I was looking at the valuation premium that, that Wells used to have over the rest of the big U.S. banks. And in price-to-book terms, um, Wells used to have a 60 basis point um, 
you know, advantage. That's now down to 12. And I can see it vanishing completely. And is that and because of secret... anticipation of fines or because of their losing no, customers? No, I, I think it's, um, it's business model, which, which was thought to be, yeah. you know, a, a cut above the rest. Wells seemed to have a magic that the others didn't possess. You know, the ability to, to sell six or seven products to the same household yeah. uh, w- without, you know, overstepping any boundaries. That, that's proven to be, um, to be essentially wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moody's today had a report saying this, this latest escalation, you know, this 60% increase or 67% increase in the fake accounts was, was a credit negative blow. So everyone's lining up now to take pot shots. And it's not just the financial markets. It's, uh, it's senators. It, it, it's Congress potentially having another series of hearings. And all the class action lawsuits which are emerging, you know, people sacked for, for, for failing to hit these targets. Uh, that then uh, some of them want their jobs back. Lots of them want uh, money from Wells. Mm. And th- there was there was a separate class action settlement about the fake account scandal that was uh, approved on a provisional basis in July. Uh, that that could unravel, uh, given the, the the latest revelations. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and other banks in the spotlight? Do you think? Yeah, n- not not directly, but uh, TD Bank, the the, the bank mm. up in uh, up in Toronto, okay, which yeah. has a yeah uh, based in Toronto. They're, they're um they have a quite a big U.S. retail network, which. Uh, uh, it could uh, potentially be um, subject to some scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, the OCC, because of um, practices north of the border, there was a Canadian Broadcasting Corporation documentary uh, a few months ago alleging similar stuff uh, right. that, that Wells was up to. Uh, the OCC, uh, which is one of the big bank regulators over here, has an ongoing probe into sales practices. So, so banks are very conscious about the, um, you know, the low rate environment that has caused pressure on the top line. What they've done uh, to incentivize sales staff right. to to hit. T- Targets. It's all under the microscope. And it, my, my reporting is, it leads me to believe that there's at least one other big bank. I, I shouldn't, shouldn't really name who they are, no. but uh, up to no good, apparently, mm. uh, in, in California, right. and had, had a similar internal purge at Wells. So I'm, I'm certainly going to keep on picking at this theme. I think there's, there's lots more stories to come from it. Okay, we'll follow that closely. Thanks very much, Ben. Thanks, Martin. That's it for this week. All that's left to do is to thank Emma, Caroline, Ben and Lee for their contributions and to thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by David Blood. Until next week, goodbye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.